Hello and welcome back to the AUA University podcast. In 2020, we are going to make an upgrade to the update series and we're going to start offering the content in audio format. This would allow you to listen to all of the update series lessons on the go. And today, we want to give you an opportunity to all preview one of the lessons from 2019. Diagnosis and Management of a Pheochromocytoma. We would love to get feedback on this lesson, so any comments you want to send, please send them to education at auanet.org. We look forward to hearing from you and enjoy this lesson. Overview and background. With the expanded use of cross-sectional imaging in clinical practice, the detection rate of adrenal incidentaloma has increased. While most incidentalomas are benign and non-functioning, a significant number may require treatment because of concern of malignancy or documented biochemical activity. Upon initial detection of an incidentaloma, it is important to determine first if the mass is hormonally active. Clinical evaluation, hormonal studies, and radiographic tests are performed in a stepwise fashion to differentiate between benign adrenal masses and different types of adrenal pathology, including hypercortisolism and Cushing syndrome, aldosteronism in Kahn's tumors, increased catecholamine secretion in pheochromocytoma, presence of malignant adrenal tumors or metastasis to the adrenal, in this update lesson, we focus on the diagnosis and management of pheochromocytoma. Although previously pheochromocytoma was believed to be the same tumor among all patients, today it is a term used to describe a heterogeneous entity with numerous genetic causes, clinical manifestations, and biochemical profiles. It is imperative that all patients with adrenal masses be screened for pheochromocytoma, even if the mass appears to be an adenoma radiographically or no hypertension or symptoms of catecholamine excess are present. With a better understanding of the genetics and pathophysiology of pheochromocytoma, evaluation and management of this extremely interesting type of tumor may be tailored. Embryology and Histology The cortex and medulla form the outer and inner layers, respectively, of the adrenal gland, and each is derived from different embryological origins. The adrenal cortex is derived from the intermediate mesoderm of the urogenital ridge between weeks 5 and 8 of gestation. It is responsible for regulation of salt balance, maintenance of sugar levels during body stress, and synthesis of sex steroids. Its three distinct zones are the zona glomerulosa, zona fasciculate, and zona reticularis. Although located in the same organ, the adrenal medulla is derived from a completely different embryologic origin known as neural crest cells that later give rise to chromaffin cells. The adrenal medulla develops during week 9 of gestation and has a purely neuroendocrine function. Its chromaffin cells are innervated by preganglionic sympathetic fibers from T11 to L2. Pheochromocytoma is an endocrine tumor that arises from the chromaffin cells of the adrenal gland. Its specific histopathological finding is zelbalin, which are well-defined nests of polygonal cells surrounded by fibrovascular stroma. Another endocrine tumor to be discussed is paraganglioma, which is also derived from fetal chromaffin bodies and can deposit in extra-adrenal sites anywhere along the distribution of sympathetic or parasympathetic chains, such as the organ of Zucker candle, mesenteric plexus, or carotid body, just to name a few. Pathophysiology Normally, the adrenal medulla secretes several types of tightly regulated levels of catecholamines, including epinephrine, norepinephrine, and dopamine. Just like most of the adrenal hormones, these levels are normally regulated to meet the body's need to adjust to continuous stressors encountered on a minute-to-minute -minute basis. While no well-defined feedback loops are known that negatively regulate the production and secretion of catecholamines, the external and internal stimuli 
influence the amounts of the catecholamines released at a given time to maintain the flight-and-fight response. This response is accomplished via the effect of released adrenal medulla catecholamines on adrenergic or dopaminergic receptors located throughout our body. When pheochromocytoma is present, the amounts and patterns of secretion become unregulated and uncontrolled, leading to numerous clinical manifestations. Epidemiology In Western countries, pheochromocytoma prevalence is estimated at 1 in 2,500 to 1 in 6,500 patients, with an annual incidence in the United States of 500 to 1,100 cases. The true prevalence of pheochromocytoma is difficult to determine, as the estimates seem to be based on the populations tested. For example, the prevalence of the pheochromocytoma among 4,429 patients evaluated for hypertension was reported to be less than 1%. However, of patients with adrenal incidentalomas, as many as 4 to 5% are ultimately diagnosed with pheochromocytoma. Furthermore, pheochromocytoma may be seen in as many as 80% of patients with known hereditary syndromes. Similar to genetic heterogeneity, pheochromocytoma can be diagnosed at any age. What has been well established is that hereditary pheochromocytoma tends to present in younger patients, average age around 25 years, compared to sporadic pheochromocytoma, average age 44 years. Genetics Pheochromocytoma involves many possible genetic mutations. In 1993, the three classic syndromes associated with pheochromocytoma were von Hippel-Lindau disease, multiple endocrine neoplasia type 2A2B, and neurofibromatosis type 1. However, the old rule of 10, 10% bilateral, 10% metastatic, and 10% hereditary, no longer applies today. In 2002, Neumann et al. reported germline mutations in as many as 24% of non-syndromic cases of pheochromocytoma without any family history. Just 25 years later, the number of genes found to be responsible for pheochromocytoma has grown exponentially. Jokmanova and Pakak demonstrated associated germline or somatic mutations in 20 genes involved. It is now widely accepted that pheochromocytoma is also found in familial paraganglioma syndrome and succinate dehydrogenase deficiency syndrome subunits B, C, and D. Mutations in the RET protooncogene, multiple endocrine neoplasia type 2, and VHL genes have also been implicated in different syndromes with varying degrees of risk of developing pheochromocytoma. For example, up to 80% of patients with MEN2 will have pheochromocytoma. Several new genes have recently been identified as a cause of pheochromocytoma. Appendix 1 provides a summary of the most common syndromes and associated genes known to predispose to the development of pheochromocytoma. Clinical Signs and Symptoms While some pheochromocytomas may be biochemically or clinically silent, the majority present with the classic triad of intermittent palpitations, headaches, and sweating. Other common presenting clinical symptoms include pallor, nausea, panic attacks, flushing, tiredness, weight loss, and headache. These symptoms tend to be classically episodic and paroxysmal in 30 to 50% of patients, but can also be sustained in the remaining patients. Episodic hypertensive episodes may be triggered by events such as induction of anesthesia, labor and delivery, instrumentation and biopsy of the tumor, strenuous physical activity, and consumption of tyramine-rich foods, such as red wine, chocolate, and cheeses. The cause of the hypertensive episodes is due to a surge of catecholamines, and the associated signs and symptoms of catecholamine excess. 
Another serious clinical presentation may result from catecholamine-induced cardiomyopathy when patients present with congestive heart failure and cardiac arrhythmias. Therefore, adequate evaluation is imperative as undiagnosed pheochromocytoma can be dangerous. Diagnostic testing and evaluation. Laboratory tests. When an adrenal mass is found on radiography or pheochromocytoma is clinically suspected, laboratory studies of the hormonal activity are of utmost importance in making the diagnosis. Initial screening should include plasma-free metanephrines. Plasma-free metanephrines have been found to exceed a sensitivity of 99%, with a specificity of 89% in cases of pheochromocytoma, and improve the diagnostic sensitivity in detecting silent pheochromocytoma. Urinary fractionated metanephrines are an alternative diagnostic test with similar but slightly lower diagnostic sensitivity. Drawing plasma-free metanephrine levels appropriately under specific conditions and preparation is paramount to reduce the rate of false positive results. The blood sample should be drawn after placing an intravenous cannula, dimming the room lights and having the patient lay supine for 30 minutes after minimizing any pain or anxiety. Prior to the blood draw, Patients should be counseled on avoiding caffeine for a minimum of 24 hours in addition to numerous medications that may falsely elevate the reading of plasma-free metanephrines. Substances and medications to avoid before conducting laboratory tests can be found in Appendix 2. Imaging. Once the tumor is confirmed to be a pheochromocytoma by biochemical standards and is functionally active, then the tumor location must be identified if not previously imaged. When it is found outside the adrenal gland, the tumor is called a paroganglioma. Computerized tomography, magnetic resonance imaging, MRI, and positron emission tomography are the three imaging modalities that can best detect adrenal abnormalities. CT or magnetic resonance imaging of the abdomen has a sensitivity of 90 to 100% and specificity of 70 to 80%. Pheochromocytoma has a distinct low signal intensity on T1-weighted imaging with a high signal intensity on T2-weighted imaging. An additional modality is radionuclide imaging using meta-iodobenzylguanidine for identifying pheochromocytomas. MIBG scintigraphy is a useful modality when a suspected pheochromocytoma cannot be localized or when metastatic disease is suspected. MIBG has a high specificity but low sensitivity for diagnostic disease identification. Adrenal lesions with attenuation less than 10 HU on non-contrast CT are considered adenoma. If the lesion is not an adenoma, an adrenal mass protocol CT with intravenous administration of contrast allows for evaluation of tumor washout. Benign adrenal lesions wash out greater than 50% on delayed imaging, while pheochromocytoma, adrenocortical carcinoma, and metastatic tumors do not. Pheochromocytomas usually measure greater than 10 HU on unenhanced CT and greater than 100 HU on contrast imaging and are often well circumscribed in appearance with or without necrotic or cystic elements. Nevertheless, any evaluation of an adenoma should still include testing for plasma-free metanephrines to rule out pheochromocytoma, as many argue that pheochromocytoma may be the most lethal entity among adrenal incidentalomas. Management Initial. Identification of patients and families at risk is of paramount importance. For example, an investigation for familial syndromes is warranted in a patient younger than 50 years with a significant family history of an extra-adrenal pheochromocytoma, hereditary paraganglioma syndrome, 
or bilateral or multifocal tumors. Evaluation should focus on the clinical presentation of the patient in addition to careful review of the family history, which may suggest the presence of a specific syndrome, and point towards testing of specific genes. If a mutation is identified, screening should also be offered to asymptomatic at-risk family members. Knowledge of the risk for malignancy or catecholamine profiles of the tumor not only helps in making the diagnosis, but also directs counseling and appropriate workup. The highest incidence, 30 to 50% of malignant pheochromocytoma, is seen in cases with hereditary paraganglioma syndrome type 4 associated with SDHB mutations. This knowledge may lead the clinician to perform additional imaging studies to rule out the presence of metastatic disease. In cases of VHL, the risk of malignancy is low, but pheochromocytoma is characterized as solely noradrenergic in its biochemical phenotype, thus directing the focus screening towards measurements of normetanephrine. Unlike pheochromocytomas in patients with VHL, MEN2 and NF1 predominantly produce epinephrine, and therefore, screening and follow-up of those patients and their family members should include detection of metanephrine and normetanephrine. Appendix 1 describes typical profiles of catecholamine secretion. Perioperative. With an accurate diagnosis of pheochromocytoma, which includes positive biochemical workup and imaging confirmation, the mainstay of treatment for localized disease is surgical resection. Nevertheless, before proceeding with surgery, perioperative preparation is critical in treating pheochromocytoma. Surgical preparation should be an interdisciplinary task involving endocrinology, radiology, anesthesiology, cardiology, and the surgical team. Also, the presence of metastatic disease should be considered before surgery and ruled out with additional imaging. Preoperative. Preoperative preparation for surgery includes cardiac diagnostic tests, medical therapy, and blockade. Cardiovascular function is evaluated because of the elevated circulating catecholamines from the tumor, which can cause an unrecognized pre-existing cardiomyopathy. Therefore, preoperative clearance should include an electrocardiogram, echocardiogram, and blood pressure monitoring to assess for the effects of medical therapy and blockade. Additionally, the echocardiogram may identify decreased left ventricular function before exercise tolerance is affected. Proper preoperative medications are essential to provide adequate blockade of the circulating catecholamines. The most widely accepted medical management in preoperative blockade should begin with phenoxybenzamine, an irreversible non-selective alpha-adrenergic receptor. The medication should be titrated according to blood pressure values. Phenoxybenzamine can be started at 10 mg twice daily with a stepwise increase of 10 to 20 mg every 2 to 3 days until a final dose of 1 mg per kilogram if tolerated. During this time, blood pressure checks should be conducted at least three times a day. Beta blockade should only be added when the patient has been treated adequately with alpha blockade. It may be added when systolic blood pressure is less than 100 millimeters of mercury. The patient is tachycardic or reflex tachycardia develops. The second agent frequently used for perioperative blockade is metyrosine, alpha-methylperatyrosine. Metyrosine is generally added for extensive disease with large increases in catecholamines. It blocks the biosynthesis of catecholamines by inhibiting the conversion of tyrosine to L-DOPA. Metyrosine administration begins with an oral dose of 250 mg 3 to 4 times a day, with an increase to 1 to 4 grams a day. Acute hypertensive attacks can also be treated with a short-acting alpha blocker such as phentolamine. In addition, 
Discussion with the anesthesia team is imperative, as different medications can be administered specific to the case. For example, thiopental can be used for induction and has previously been reported to decrease plasma catecholamine levels. Also, propofol and atomidate can be administered for cardiovascular stability. Drugs like succinylcholine can be avoided due to cardiac side effects and resultant muscle fasciculation, which can possibly cause stimulation of the tumor and potentially life-threatening catecholamine bursts. Calcium channel blockers have been used as an alternative regimen to preoperative blockade with good results. These blockers can be used as primary therapy for blood pressure control or as adjuncts to other medications. They are especially helpful in patients who are normotensive with paroxysmal hypertension and a normal baseline blood pressure. Some of the most commonly used calcium channel blockers include amlodipine, 5 to 20 mg a day, nicardipine, 60 to 90 mg per day, nifedipine, 30 to 90 mg per day, verapamil, 180 to 540 mg per day, and diltiazem, 90 to 240 mg per day. Usually, preoperative calcium channel blockade for two weeks is sufficient. Finally, preoperative hydration and volume expansion with liberal fluid intake and often higher in salt diet are important as these patients are often volume depleted due to long-standing vasoconstrictive effects of excessive circulating catecholamines. Intraoperative. The surgical approaches to adrenalectomy include open, laparoscopic, and most recently robotic. The laparoscopic approach has become the standard of care as with proper preoperative management, the mortality of this specific surgery has decreased to a minimum. A minimally invasive approach allows for decreased morbidity, shortened postoperative hospital stay, and reduced overall cost. And while the open surgical approach was previously indicated for larger adrenal tumors, these can now be managed via a minimally invasive laparoscopic or robotic approach as previously described for tumors as large as or greater than 8 centimeters. The surgery can be performed via either a transperitoneal or retroperitoneal approach, depending on surgeon preference. The retroperitoneal surgical approach offers the advantages of less postoperative ileus, access to posterior tumors, and an operative field that has not been entered previously. The transperitoneal approach offers a larger working space for removal of larger tumors as well as more anatomic familiarity. Laparoscopic or robotic approaches should depend on surgeon preference and skill set. Recent studies indicate that the robotic approach results in decreased estimated blood loss intraoperatively and a shorter postoperative hospital stay. Today, due to the relatively infrequent nature of pheochromocytomas, no specific studies on the appropriate volume for training and proctoring standards have been reported. Communication between the anesthesiologist and surgeon during surgery is critical. Hypertensive crisis should be managed by the anesthesiologist using a variety of drips, including nitroprusside, nicardipine, or nitroglycerin. Also, esmolol or lidocaine may be useful for tachyarrhythmias that occur intraoperatively. Throughout the course of the procedure, intravascular volume expansion is necessary, as after tumor resection, there is a great chance for severe hypotension. Several principles of surgical management are crucial. Early ligation of the main adrenal vein and minimal manipulation of the affected adrenal, previously described as dissection of the patient away from the tumor, are important. Now that preoperative blockade is routinely used, there is greater tolerance to manipulation of the tumor, especially in cases of partial adrenalectomy. Also, rich arterial blood supply and rich venous drainage of the adrenal via small arterioles and venules 
allow for small adrenal remnants to survive. Postoperative. Patients are usually monitored in the intensive care unit as hypotension may ensue when the levels of circulating catecholamines drop. Several postoperative challenges are inherent to removal of a pheochromocytoma, including blood pressure instability, usually postoperative hypotension, occasionally requiring slow norepinephrine drip while volume resuscitation is taking place to compensate for the loss of peripheral vasoconstriction, leading to hypovolemic hypotension, control of heart rate, and hypoglycemia. In cases of severe hypotension, vasopressin can be used to control blood pressure. Hypoglycemia may also occur as a result of rebound hyperinsulinemia, and therefore it is important to monitor blood glucose levels and administer dextrose infusions as needed. Additional Surgical Considerations An important consideration of surgical intervention for pheochromocytoma is the role of partial adrenalectomy, which can be done with any of the previously described surgical approaches and has the potential for long-term benefits. While initially, partial adrenalectomy was reserved for those patients with bilateral adrenal involvement due to hereditary disorders, increasing knowledge and frequency of genetic manifestations responsible for development of pheochromocytoma make one appreciate the risk of the contralateral adrenal gland if left alone. Partial adrenalectomy is most beneficial in the setting of hereditary pheochromocytoma because by removing the affected portion of the gland only, and preserving the unaffected adrenal cortex, adrenal insufficiency can be avoided, along with lifelong hormone replacement therapy. Data supporting the use of partial adrenalectomy for small solitary lesions in patients with a normal contralateral gland have also been previously published. The use of the robotic platform for the management of adrenal pheochromocytomas continues to evolve, especially during partial adrenalectomy. With an overall complication rate of approximately 3%, the morbidity of partial adrenalectomy does not supersede that of total adrenalectomy. However, partial adrenal surgery can theoretically risk recurrent disease, and some have described recurrence rates as high as 60%. Pathology and follow-up. The diagnosis of pheochromocytoma is confirmed microscopically by the demonstration of classic zelbalin, characterized by polygonal or spindle cells arranged in small nests. After resection, Pheochromocytoma requires lifelong follow-up with a urologist or endocrinologist due to concern for the risk of recurrence. Pheochromocytoma recurs in 6-10% to of patients after radical adrenalectomy. These rates are much lower than those for malignant pheochromocytomas, as by definition, those can be metastatic and have high rates of distant relapse even after therapy. Follow-up at 2-6 to six weeks postoperatively should include biochemical testing with plasma-free metanephrines, with subsequent testing in asymptomatic patients each year. In syndromic patients or those with known genetic mutations, surveillance should be individualized according to known mutation or expected catecholamine profile. Some suggest that due to a high prevalence of genetic mutations, all patients with pheochromocytoma undergo genetic testing. Conclusions In summary, Pheochromocytoma is a heterogeneous entity that may be caused by numerous genetic alterations and may occur in sporadic and hereditary forms. Knowledge of syndromic manifestations should help the clinician perform evaluation, diagnosis, appropriate imaging, and treatment. Attention to details in the perioperative period is crucial as appropriate workup and blockade are a must. Surgical approaches vary, but adrenal sparing should be considered as bilateral pheochromocytoma is not uncommon, especially in those with an onset at a young age or a family history.
Thank you for listening, and I hope that all of the Update Series subscribers out there are looking forward to this in 2020. Uh, for additional information on the Update Series, you can check out the AUA University at auanet.org university. Thank you. The AUA is bringing its Robotics Masterclass to Celebration Florida November 17th through the 18th, 2019. Course Director Vipul Patel has assembled an all-star faculty to share their expertise on single and multi-port robotics technologies. New this year are simultaneous live broadcast surgeries and interactive case discussions. Learn more and register today at auanet.org forward slash robotics 2019.